This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to episode three of Besotted Reloaded, the story of Brentford's amazing 1988-89 FA Cup run. Ex-Brentford midfielder Alan Cockrum will join myself, Billy Grant and Dave Lane to relive the memories of those amazing few months. We'll also be hearing fans Gary Smith, Steve the Bordeaux B, Gary Scammell, Greville Water Mann, Blondie, Clarkey, Joe Whelan, Kenny Raymond, Monty, Paul Jamieson, Colin the South Coast B and Steve Horowitz in this episode you can catch parts one and two on prideofwest.london and also make sure you catch up with all besotted activity on besotted.com please make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and thanks very much for listening so quarterfinals of the fa cup liverpool at anfield the date saturday the 18th of march 1989 the crowd 42,376 just to give you a little bit of background on Liverpool, they were fourth when they played Brentford. They were one place behind, and this has blown my mind actually, they were one place behind Millwall, Norwich and Arsenal were actually top of the league at the time. That's the season that Arsenal actually won the league with the final kick of the final game of the season. Um, they weren't in Europe due to the English ban. Uh, they'd won their previous league matches against Charlton, Middlesbrough and Luton with an aggregate of 11 goals to zero. And they'd beaten Hull 3-2 away in the previous round of the FA Cup. They actually went on to win the FA Cup that year, beating Everton 3-2 in the final after beating Forest in a semi-final match that was rescheduled after the first match at Hillsborough was stopped when fans were tragically crushed due to overcrowding as a result, poor policing and other things. Players included Bruce Grobelaar, Alan Hansen, Steve Nichol, Steve Staunton, John Barnes, Ray Houghton, Steve McMahon, Jan Mulby is in there as well, Ronnie Whelan, John Aldridge, Peter Beardson, Ian Rush. It's like a who's who of the top players around. I mean, that, that was some draw, wasn't it, Alan? In hindsight, probably the best draw we could have had. Although at the time when, OK, my mind might be foggy along with everywhere else's, but I'm sure I remember sitting with my mates in front of the TV on a Saturday night seeing the draw out. And, and remembering, I think, do you know what? I think West Ham and Norwich were in the draw. 
I might be I might be wrong. But I thought if we got West Ham at home, who was second of the bottom of the old first division, I think, might be wrong, but I think, then we'd have a chance at a semi-final. But when number six come out, which is really weird, which was my shirt number and my, and my lucky number, when six come out, and I think Brentford was seven, mate, the phone calls, the house lines were, were on fire. So, yeah, I think, in hindsight, the best draw for footballers, fans, and the history of the club as well. Third, I mean, a third-tier club getting to the quarterfinals is is special to this day. This is the reason why we're talking about it still. But, Al, you know, you, you're actually thinking about winning it at this stage. What, winning the FA Cup? Yeah. Do you know what? No. Your As a child, your dream is to play in the FA Cup, let alone the Cup final. Um, so you've got degrees of speciality, if you like. Um, and the degree is you play, we played in the FA Cup as a, as a kid. I played in the FA Cup. And then you're thinking, can I win the FA Cup? Hang on a minute. Am I happy to go to Anfield? Which, let's be honest, at the time in reflection was the probably one of the greatest teams in the world. And you're going there to experience the whole, the whole genre that, that, that's going to, you know, and as you look back in time, it's amazing experiences. And I'll go into a little bit more detail, hopefully, the fans that, that can tell you what it was like for a player to go to a, to a place like Anfield. And I have to say, Bill, you know, we, we just read out that that was Liverpool's biggest home crowd of the season, that match. It was as well. I mean, it's, it's interesting because we talked about the previous crowds. We had 12,100 at ours. Blackburn was 15,000. And it shows the massive gap. You know, the, 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 the huge number of fans that, you know, they were attracted to that game. It was unbelievable. It's like I said, it's nothing that we'd ever um, never seen before. You'll hear the fans talk about it as well. And we're talking about the wall of sound. But, you know, for, for me, you know, this was going to be one of the greatest football experiences of our life. But on the flip side of it, secretly in the back of your mind, you also did think that maybe you might be able to win that game because we were on a roll by that stage. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's um, let me just let me just tell you a little thing. So, so what we're going to share now is all the micro details between supporters and players. And I don't know if you know this, but all that week we trained with Adidas Tango. And I don't know if you remember, but Liverpool Liverpool's pitch is quite wide, but they used to play with the, the Tango balls, and we we didn't. I think ours were Mito or something. But I can't tell you how much of a difference it was in having those Adidas Tangos. You're talking about the footballs today that fly through the air and they swerve and stuff like that. This was the equivalent of the time. So those little details Steve picked up on. And all that week, we, trade, we trained with the Adidas Tangos. And, and it helped us. There's no doubt about it. They had more flight to them. They were a lighter ball uh, and stuff like that. Tony Parks, he was in goal. Now, Tony Parks obviously had been in the big time. He played for Tottenham. He played in the, I think they won the UEFA Cup as well. And he was there with them as well. So he's seen the big time as well. But also, he had seen some bad times. And he was actually in goal when Tottenham lost to Port Vale, the underdog. So he's seen the kind of like the big timers and also the underdog thing where he got knocked out by the underdogs. Here he's talking about how it feels to be knocked out by an underdog. Good ball. 
Riley didn't quite keep his feet. Here's Ford. And Splay waved on. This is Walker. Yes! Oh, Ray Walker! Brilliant! Yeah, I mean, that was uh, probably one of the lows of my career. And I experienced the side of the coin there where you, we was the big team and they was the minnows and they knocked us out and the joy on their faces was hard to take that day but uh, now playing for Brentford in the third division and knocking out Manchester City and Blackburn in the last round I now understand how they felt and it's, it is a great feeling and, it, and hopefully we can come off the pitch with a similar sort of uh, result on Saturday. Being the underdog Bill, good question. Obviously let's be honest anyone that goes to Anfield is the underdog. But we didn't kind of see it as the end of the road. We, uh, I remember my debut for Tottenham that kind of as a 19-year-old went over my head a little bit. Um, and I made a conscious effort to take everything, in everything on board of the whole day, all the minute detail, all the micro special moments um, that we've done. And I'd like to just share a couple with all you guys out there that, that, that obviously travelled and spent a lot of money getting to, getting to Anfield. But the first thing was, you're not going to believe this, we trained out the front of the hotel on a bit of grass the morning of the game. So imagine that. You're a, I can't even remember the name of the hotel. Posh Hotel. We're on the green, dodging the roses and the daffodils, having a little keep ball session, number one. Number two, Steve's gone, you've got a special visit, lads. God, what's that? He's going, you're going to walk the Aintree course. I'd be like, what? He said, you're going to walk the Aintree course. And we were picked up and taken to Aintree and we walked the Grand National course. And I remember vividly being by, you know, the chair. I think it's the third jump on the National, the chair. I remember standing there and thinking, freaking hell, how high is that? And then from there, we left Aintree and went straight to the ground. And that was, it was like a European night for Brentford supporters that had got there early. In fact, I think there was a bit of a hold up with you guys with getting into the stadium. Because I remember my old man being late arriving. Um, but there was a mob of Brentford supporters there banging and cheering. I remember that moment. And the greatest thing, guys, I've got to tell you, was the iron, the raw iron gates opening up for the, the coach to come in with you'll never walk, walk alone on it. I think the, the players, I think I've got some photographs, the old Polaroid Instamatics of us on the coach. I'll have to dig them out um, of that moment. And just that feeling of you were walking into this gladiatorial stadium. You, you know, it's a bit like uh, Russell Crowe in Gladiator, you know, where the portcullis comes up and he goes out into this, into this, uh, into this stadium. It's kind of how we felt or I felt as a player. And they're, they're the micro moments preceding the game that, that I just wanted to make you aware of and how exciting it was for all, all us lads um, to go to a place like Anfield and not only to go to a place like Anfield but to actually see the mighty B supporters in that same euphoric space. It must have been great having Steve Perryman at this stage because he was an experienced manager, he was the Don, everyone had respect for him, he played at Anfield, he played everywhere, he'd won cups. So he probably knew how to marshal you. So, so it's interesting to hear what his point of view is. Let's have a little listen to what Steve Perryman had to say going into this cup match. Looking back in my own career, I played there as a 17-year-old in my third league game. 
uh, and I've also played there as like a 34-year-old. And I sometimes think you're probably better off being a little bit naive while you're playing at Liverpool, you know? Uh, if you're not too aware of what's going on and what's happening and uh, who to fear. Our players obviously know a lot about the club and the players and their achievements and, you know, we're full of respect for them and every club in the country or most clubs in the country aim at Liverpool, you know, the way that they do things. So, um, I mean, I want it to be respect, but I don't want it to be fear. Hope we don't get stung. Steve Perriman, I mean, he was the Don. And he, his advice there was to go into that game maybe a little bit naive, maybe it's that, so that you just don't get nervous. Is that why do you think he said that? Uh, Laney said it earlier about the end of the road. You, you don't think it's the end of the road. You're just going into a game trying to get the best experience of your life. So he was very mindful of the fact of not putting us any more, under more pressure than than the media and the supporters and the situation and the moment. Um, so I don't even remember. I don't even remember going, oh, we've got to do X, Y, and Z. You knew <laughs> at the end of the day, you're playing Liverpool and Anfield. You just like go out and enjoy it and enjoy yourself. What I do remember is how small your way changing room is. It's freaking tiny, literally tiny. So you, you're surrounded and then you've got the, the medical bed in the middle. So very small, very intimidating. Um, and just go and enjoy it, lads. Go and enjoy the moment was the message that was conveyed, uh, conveyed to all the players. Gary Blissett, Neil Smiley had little thoughts in the run-up to the game as well, because, again, we're still getting the players' thoughts as what was happening before the match and, and, and what they thought they are going to expect when they walked out in Enfield. Let's have a little listen to what they had to say. The most pleasure was probably the second one at Blackburn because I knew with four minutes to go that it's going to be hard for Blackburn to come back from that and I knew that there was st still five or six first division teams left in the round so we knew if we got through that one we was up against the first division side and obviously the goals against Manchester City were a pleasure for me because I'm from Manchester and I support Manchester City as a kid mm -hmm. so they also brought pleasure but the, Black the second one at Blackburn was nice feeling, very nice feeling. People would be looking at me to perhaps if possible, clinch the goal in the last couple of minutes and another headline in the papers that I've scored another goal in the FA Cup. You've been dreaming about that already. I've been dreaming about it for the last, since the draw, actually, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's nice to play in this, on the same pitch as people like Rush and Aldridge. And we'll just, I'll just go out there and enjoy myself. Coming back to the, the, the sheer deafening noise of the, the crowd, um, you know, you go out for a warm-up and the cop is full while you're going out for a warm-up. I mean, it's a little bit different. The lads here are used to playing in front of probably six and 7,000, whereas at Liverpool it'll be 30,000. It'll just be one, one noise rather than loads of different individual comments. So coming out at Anfield is a cauldron. You meet very tightly in the tunnel. And we was told by an official that it's quite disrespectful to touch the this is Anfield sign as the opposition. Um, bit of a red rag to a ball to me. Um, and there's one actual, I think there's one match of the day shot of me coming out of the tunnel, poking my tongue out and actually touching, reaching up and touching the this is Anfield sign. Like a little kid, isn't it? Being told not, you, know, you can't do that or whatever. Um, that was it. But then actually, guys, I can't tell you, running up and out into the Brentford end, was one of the greatest moments of my life to see it was the do you know what it was you know when they sing you'll never walk alone at anfield you know even as a non-liverpool supporter you get that 
you get that kind of hairy vibe about this um you'll never walk alone well that was for us brentford going up to the bees supporters and also seeing my mates i saw my mates in the bottom left hand corner five of them and i went straight over there chatting to them stretching on the on the on the um advert while i'm talking to them and having a chat just wanted to convey that that the players or certainly me and the and the players that i've spoken to about it was that it was one of the most amazing experiences of their life and neil smiley talked about the noise you know when you walked out there he says the noise is like you've never ever heard before what was that like well uh specky could only hear noise because he was blind so he was that's that was his nickname specky because <laughs> so the noise to him must have been tenfold in his ears but it was that and when you talk about the difference between a level imagine that you're a professional footballer and you can't hear teammates talking or coaches talking whereas at griffin park you kind of heard, could heard it, hear every expletive so it was it was that it was that it's a din it's almost a din like you're rattling about in a tin can somewhere along along the line of, of of noise so it's all all voices marinated together so yeah absolutely special so so how how do you not get overwhelmed by that because this is the big this is the biggest stage you've played at by by a by a long shot by this stage yeah yeah it's autopilot laney um you're taking in everything emotionally but by the same token your first 10 minutes of a game you got you kind of go into a, oh, i've watched the first five or ten minutes of the game actually like years ago and everyone went into autopilot the kickoff was regimented as in i got the ball and paid, played it deep into the into the corner flag to press them for a throw in and we went into you go into autopilot once autopilot switches off it's down to your ability and obviously the opposition comes into play um, and certainly with Liverpool we had the Dicky moment didn't we or Dicky had his moment let we say and, I, and also I think it got Andy Sinton pushed into the limelight to get the move without a shadow of a doubt um, that was the that was the moment that Andy Sinton, Sinton got his move and Dicky could have had his glory moment um, not saying that we would have won the game by a long chalk but um, going one nil up in the first ten minutes throws a whole different light on it. Bearing in mind that defensively we're quite a strong unit. So does the manager say? Does he say those words? Whatever you do, don't concede in the first seconds. Or does he not say that? Like it's like if you say it, it's going to happen. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not said in so many. You know, as a player, don't you? You know, do you know what I mean? You know, the last thing you want to do is concede early doors. Um, so. Whether he said it or not, I don't know. I think he was confident in confident in our um, in our structure and our formation that we weren't going to concede like, loads of goal, goals early doors unless you know unless Liverpool were, you know went at us in a different way, which they didn't. And thinking about it, we kind of held our own. And I'll give you a really good insight into what happened. So how? So Jonesy and I are basically Mark, Markin, McMahon, and and, uh, and Whelan. Not, we weren't detailed. You know, you didn't. You one wasn't marking the other. Whoever was nearest marked that person. And I think it was McMahon got a, a chip over and he scored at half time. When we've come in the changing rooms at half time, at one nil, bearing in mind, Steve just said to us, "Have a listen." And Dalgleish was absolutely giving him the biggest them the biggest bollocking of their life and that was our team talk 
Steve didn't say anything. He said, have a listen. You've done, you've done us so proud. Listen to what he's saying. And he, was, he had a go at Grobler. He had a go at Hanson about the pace of the game. We could li listen to him. They're in the changing room next door. We're having a bit of a giggle up, really. We're going, oh, oh really? We didn't know we'd done that well. So think about that. Um, we'd come in one nil down. And I think 65, 70 minutes, if I'm honest, knowing, knowing your body, knowing the emotion, knowing all what we know today, the physicality and the mentals, I think we gassed. If you look at the last 20 minutes of the game where we really, the game kind of went away for us, Feely fell over, Tell fell over. And it's not just to do with the game. If you look back at the whole cup run of how many games we have played, the emotion of the FA Cup, certainly the emotion, what we know today about the mental state of players and, and people in general, I think we gassed. Um, and fair play. Who wouldn't? Looking back now, if you'd have said everything, what you'd say to a modern, you know, second division footballer or, or first division footballer, should I say, respect to us. Yeah, we did. We run out. We run out of steam. We were, we were absolutely shattered. So, like I said, for this game, so exciting. All the plans that were made. We've talked about all the fans are going to be talking about all the plans that are made for this game. Again, for me, this was the second official unofficial coach for me. And I remember the story. Paul, my mate, is like I said to you, his his in effect his his, his stepdad. You know, he uh, worked at coach company in South East London. And because the first coach was so successful, I said, look, you've got to get us another coach. And when I went down to Paul, he lived in Sydenham, I think it was at the time. And I remember seeing these buses driving around. They were called, I think it's called the B Line. And they had little buses on it. And they were owned by the company that is, is you know, is that they'd worked for. And I was like, oh, the B Line, that'd be brilliant if we could all go up to Liverpool in these B Line buses. So I said to him, listen, you've got to get us B Line bus. So he said, right, I'll see what I can do. So I put the phone call and gave me the number of the guy who's working really hard to get us this bus with a massive B on the side. I thought this is going to be absolutely top. Anyway, he's come back to me and he says, hello, Bill, I've got you a bus. Unfortunately, I haven't got you a B-line bus because they're all out that day. But instead, I could do you a double-decker London bus. So basically, I'm like, all right then, fair enough. So I have end up hiring this double-decker London bus, 72-seater to take me and the whole crew up to Liverpool. And at the time, like I said, official, unofficial just started. I remember I used to go up to the players' bar. I've made all these little posters, you know, because there's no social media at the time saying, official, unofficial, if you want to come to Liverpool, come and check it out. And I had this poster up the up in the players' bar. I remember Tony Parks comes up to us and says, oh, Bill, I quite fancy that for my mum and dad. Like that coach. I mean, they're trying to get them to go on the official coach, all the families, but that's all boring and that. They like to go with the fans and that. So I think I'm going to send them the coach. So Tony Parks ends up sending his mum and dad on our double-decker bus from Ealing Common all the way up, which is absolute mayhem. And I'll probably talk about a little bit more about that later. But let's listen to the fans. We're going to listen to Polly Cates talking about the coaches that she's organised as well. Then you'll hear about Tony Parks sending his mum and dad on my bus and then we've got other fans just talking about their memories of Liverpool. Club secretary Polly Cates has been collating the departure of 7,000 fans in an armada of coaches. Do you know how many coaches we've got for Saturday? Um, we've got 48. 48. And what time do they leave at? They're leaving at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. Okay, thanks. Yeah, well, my, my mum and dad had always, ever since I was a kid, um, had always supported supported me really and gone most places you know I remember um, 
I remember making my debut as a 17-year-old um, away at West Ham um, in a Tottenham game. And um, there's certainly no love lost between the supporters of them two teams. On a Tuesday night at Upton Park is... Uh, um, you know, it can be, and at the time, in the bad old days of the crowd violence and stuff like that, and I got my mum and dad two tickets, and um, my mum decides to start shouting and screaming while she's in around all the West Ham supporters to, you know, who her son is, and don't go near him, and doing things that mums do, and nearly got my dad a right-hander. Um, so she got told that she was, she'd have to behave if she wanted to come again. But I remember that, I remember that year, because they, they absolutely loved those days. They loved those days jumping on the coach and going up, and it was uh, it was all part of it for them, you know, being involved and, um, and and just going to support their son. But every you know every team in Brentford was no exception. Every team I went for, they genuinely liked the football club that I played for as well. And I think my mum and dad had a had a good time. They was always at the Brentford games um, watching. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, I know when they came home, they were they were really pleased and they thought it was great fun and, and they'd had a great day out. The build-up to Liverpool was, it was brilliant. It was just something that had never really happened down at Brentford before. Um, the queue round the ground. I can remember going down with my dad because I think it was only one ticket each in those days. And, of course, Mandy wanted to go and whatever. And the queue was sort of wrapped round down Griffin Park, round Brook Road South and Newey, the Parson New Inn and all that. It was absolutely horrendous. And then the inflatable bees, they came out. Um, but it was just one of excitement. And Matt, we were all really looking forward to it, going on Billy's coach. And then, of course, the big day dawned. I can remember we'd, we had T-shirts. I can't remember the T-shirts we had made, but we also made red and white roses out of ribbons and that, Mandy, Allison and I. And then we got to the coach to get on the coach, and it's a bloody double-decker bus. And I said, only Billy could do that. Anyway, it was great. It was, you know, we used to take our own food, being girls and booze, always prepared. And it was just a great journey, a fantastic atmosphere. And in hindsight, the bus was a better thing going up there because the journey's longer. So we had much more fun. The singing, the dancing, the photos. Yeah, it was just great to be amongst your friends and that. Yeah, so Liverpool, obviously when we got uh, drawn out of the hat to play Liverpool away, probably the biggest team in the country at the time. Um, unfortunately, I didn't manage to get there when we played them in the League Cup uh, a few years earlier. The time before that, my dad always went went to Anfield in, in the 70s to see the League Cup game. He went up with my granddad and he was sitting in on one of the side stands just near Bill Shankly, and he always goes on about that story to this day, even, you know, how great it was to, you know, Brentford put up a good show then. And I just wanted to go to Liverpool and, you know, hopefully do our best and, you know, try and get a result, but it was always going to be hard. Everyone wanted to go. Um, we, we sold, what was it, seven or 8,000 tickets. How was everyone going to get there? I don't think we could, uh, the club could put on a train, special trains like they did for the... Uh, previous round with Blackburn so a number of coaches were laid on 30 or 40 coaches plus coaches from like pubs and football teams and stuff everyone was going whether they were Brentford fans or not it was people were going for a good day out going up there we, we got up there not only was there seven or eight thousand Brentford fans there was two thousand inflatable bees 
uh, I don't think half of them made the game because they just sort of split and burst, you know. That was the, the fashion at the time, uh, people taking inflatables and Brentford tried to cash in. I think all the Brentford fans got behind the team. It was uh, w- when we got off the coaches, there wasn't a lot of time. It was just a case of just wandering around and looking up and just seeing Anfield, really. And I don't think we had much time before the game, really. We just got off the coaches and headed, to, headed in, really. We flew to Boston on a courier flight. You know, I was on my way down to Chile to kill President Pilichet. That was the that was a plan. It was a bit weird. So we ended up not knowing where to stay. In uh, we arrived in Boston. I got kind of stopped by immigration. Long story. And they gave me a two-week visa to America. So we ended up driving a van across America. Ended up in Madison, Wisconsin. And I got a copy of USA Today just hoping they might have FA Cup results. It was like we'd beaten Blackburn 2-0. We're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. So I rang up my sister, you know, a boyfriend who picked me up from the airport. He says, you've got Liverpool away, you've got Liverpool away. You know, and I had a chat with my mate and I said, listen, I've only got a two-week visa. I mean, I'm, I'm a weekend. I mean, are you going to stay legally or you know, Brentford at Anfield, mate? I'm, I'm really sorry. And he says, you're a stupid pommy. You know, whatever. Um, so I managed to get a flight. My flight moved. I got to London. I got, this was on a Friday. I'd rung up a mate and it sorted out two tickets. I was supposed to meet him outside Anfield. So I went up on the Friday up to Manchester to stay with some mates and then get a bus. I had no money in those days. And as we got to Manchester, we went past the Apollo uh, and Manchester Apollo. And it said the Waterboys were my favourite band at the time. So I said, stop the bus, stop the bus, stop the bus. Somehow managed to climb up the drain pipe, get into a toilet, toilet. And I saw the Waterboys, my favourite band ever. It was like a great vibe for, for, for Brentford and Anfield. And I got a bus. I remember going from Naughty Ash and got to Anfield. Everyone knows the Brentford fans, Bumblebees and all that stuff. It wasn't going to do that by the way and I arranged to meet my mate in this pub which was full because it was a rush it was like quarter past half past two but there was there were so many people in the pub that it was impossible to see him so I went outside and then six or seven minutes before kickoff the pub just emptied it was like the Red Sea you know I just come back from Egypt and it was like there was my mate you know what I mean it was just like weird everyone just ran out ran out I've looked back at uh, what the quarterfinal draw could have been there and it was either Liverpool we could have had Man United away but we ended up with a draw with Liverpool away under Kenny Dalglish at, uh, at Anfield. And for us, it was an absolute must-attend. We had our southern contingent of, of Brentford fans, and we all decided that our northern fan mates, who were from university days back in the early 80s, they were all Liverpool fans. We had a few neutral southern fans. We'd all meet up in Blackpool on the Friday night before the game. So we had a terrific weekend. It's a great build-up. Drove up there on the Friday. We had fish and chips supper. We got a really messy night out on the beers in the rain on the Friday night. We were staying at the usual Mrs. Miggins bed and breakfast and uh, we didn't have much sleep. It was a beer-induced sleep, a lot of expectation. And we drove across from Blackpool across to Anfield in the morning, really full of expectation, just looking forward to the game. It was terrific. The cop was baying and massed. We had 7,000 Brentford fans up on the coaches um, we shared pre-match beers with Liverpool fans in the pubs next to the ground. It was a great atmosphere. And I remember people saying to me, you're going to lose about 6-0, 7-0, 8-0 to Liverpool. And I remember thinking, I don't really care because I'm going to go and see Brentford play at Anfield against Liverpool and the likes of John Barnes, Peter Beardsley, Ray Houghton, Steve McMahon, all these wonderful players that you saw week in, week out on match of the day, playing for their club, playing for their country when it came to the internationals. Players that I watched week in, week out, Terry Evans, you know, Roger Stanislaus, Richard Cadet, Gary Blissett, these sort of players going to pick their wits 
against Liverpool was something that I knew as a Brentford fan I was never, ever going to forget. The journey there, we had a bit of a delay. I think it was somewhere on the M6, but we definitely had a bit of a delay. And I remember our coach getting to the other side of Stanley Park, so closer to Goodison Park than to Anfield, fairly late on in the afternoon. I remember having to make a mad dash across Stanley Park with my inflatable bee tucked under my arm uh, to make sure that we got in the ground in time. We were then queuing up downstairs for a programme and word came back that the guy in the programme hut had collapsed for some reason, whether it was a heart attack or something else, I don't know, something medical, whether he just sold out and the word got back to us wrong, but the word came towards the back of the queue that he'd sold, he, he couldn't sell any more programmes or there were no programmes available now to be sold. So to this day, I still don't have uh, a programme for the Liverpool v Brentford game. Uh, but we made our way up the stairs. Obviously, the bees had taken over their part of the, the the area that we were allowed to. Lots and lots of inflatable bees. Really, really proud occasion to see that the boys come out. Uh, just about caught the end of the warm-up before they went inside and then came back out for the actual game itself. This was a cup final. And everyone's families were all all booking tickets for it. It was, don't know the exact figure for the away, away turnout, but it was pretty large. It's probably larger than our average gate that season uh billy the bee then sort of booked a double decker bus to take us up there which was uh it's a pretty bold move i believe there's uh i believe there's a t-shirt that uh that illustrates the the characters on that one i came along with my brother hammer and who else there's everyone everyone was there i'm pretty sure i don't know of anyone who who missed that but the, uh, the double-decker bus, um, I think we, we, we had cans on the way. That was fine. Uh, as we were approaching Liverpool, something hit the upstairs windscreen and completely shattered it. And it just dropped out. The rest of the journey with, with no windscreen upstairs. We didn't care, really, at that point. Uh, we, we were in Liverpool to see the bees. We were rather hoping that the, the driver would have been able to have gone away during the match and got it fixed. But... Uh, but that didn't didn't seem to be the case. So coming home, it, we still had like this gaping hole upstairs, <laughs> and it was freeing, man. The queue was massive. The queue was long, and it took forever. You had to go around the blocks to get the uh, your tickets. You went around one block, and then you had to go around another block. It was from you said the new road queuing. <laughs> They were going around towards the Ealing Road to get to Braemar Road to get your ticket. That's how bad it was. I got my ticket eventually between half eight and nine o'clock that evening. The game itself, great day. Great, great day. Getting on the Bills coach at half six. When we when I got to Brentford, I see a double-decker London bus. I wasn't expecting that. I was just expecting the coach, but to see a double-decker bus uh, going to Liverpool, it was the business. That was the business. Got on the coach and there's a lot of of faces. I went with my brother, my in-law, my wife to be Karen. She never goes to a football game, but she went to this game. The coach was packed. Everyone was gone by eight o'clock in the morning. Drinks was just flowing everywhere. And uh, there's singing, there's a song, a message to you, Rudy, that sticks in my head because I think they must have played this song so many times on the coach. And every time I hear this song, 
It reminds me of the Liverpool game. But the thing about that coach on the way there was it was slow. <laughs> it was I'm thinking of trying to put your foot down, but I think he was, but it was a slow coach. Um, but we eventually did get to Liverpool. So the match was on. Game on. Goal missed in the very, very, very early minutes by Richard Gidette, who talks about that miss right here. I, mean, I was gutted. I wouldn't have to draw Wimbledon because we'd have beaten Wimbledon. <laughs> we would have beaten Wimbledon, but we, we drew Liverpool. And um, I think the biggest uh, we missed Simon Ratcliffe without a doubt. We missed Simon Ratcliffe without a doubt. He was the biggest miss we had for that day. And no disrespect to Alan Cochran, but he was not Simon Ratcliffe. So there you go. But Liverpool. You know, I should have scored. Sorry, I should have scored. Yeah, we were there. I, I should have scored. You're all right. I should have scored. But Liverpool's class, at the end of the day, took over. And, you know, you've got to take care of to them. They were fantastic on that day. So that was Richard Cadet talking about, you know, the fact he wanted Wimbledon because we had beaten him. And also the fact that we, he missed the goal, but also... He had a little bit of a thing to say about the midfield. I mean, he said that he felt that we were missing Simon Radcliffe. How much? He felt that Simon Radcliffe How should be much? playing instead of Newcockers. I mean, what have you got to say about that? Oh, I've got no bad word to say about Dickie. You know, how much in front of me? I'll leave that to the fellow supporters to decide. Rose was an up and downer, underground, do what you do. But, you know, I'm always going to back myself, mate. And I, I'll just... Uh, I'll just out punch Dicky when I see him. I think, and I think, and a fair play to to, to Dicky, to, to Richard. Maybe he's saying as well because interestingly, what you said at Blackburn, how you kind of saw a game differently when you came off the bench, and maybe he was talking about maybe how the impact of you coming off the bench, especially as you were saying, everyone was so knackered by the 60th or 70th minute, yeah. so everyone had blown themselves out. Maybe that's the scenario he's talking about. No, I think if Rats had played, we'd have probably won 5 0. He would have scored three goals, 30 odd screamers, um, and cleared one off the line. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think he should have played. So, let's have a little listen to what more fans had to say about that Liverpool game. The game itself, you know, like, like most big games, I think, with the beast, passes by in a little bit of a blur, doesn't it? I remember uh, Richard Cadet in front of the cop having a, a wonderful opportunity to put Brentford ahead. And I think in the knowledge that probably Brentford weren't going to get anything out of the game, all you wanted to do was, was see them score a goal at Anfield against Liverpool and, and give us something to celebrate. Uh, but Cadet sort of had a one-on-one with Grobelar and slipped it just wide of the post. And then Liverpool started to get back more into the game and then started to dominate. And I think they were a goal up at half-time. Uh, and then I think the likes of Barnes and, and Beardsley and people like that sort of turned it on a little bit more in the second half. Uh, you know, as everybody knows, they won the game by four goals to nil. But I think at the end was just an overwhelming sense of pride that, yes, we'd been beaten, but we could be proud of, of what the team had achieved, how far we'd gone, 
the way they played on the day, the scouts of Blackburn and Manchester City along the way. Stupidly, I think a few days later after the Liverpool defeat, we went out of the, the Football League trophy, whatever it was called at the time, in a home defeat against uh, Torquay. Uh, and I think one of my favourite ever Bees players, Andy Sinton, then got sold to uh, that blue and white hoop lot down the road that we don't like to talk about just a few days later. Um, but the overriding memory of, of going to Liverpool is just one of, of absolute pride. And as I said before, of seeing my boys that I watched week in, week out go and pit their wits against the likes of Barnes and Beardsley and, and people like that. And it was just, uh, just, a, just a fantastic day. The coach back was, uh, wasn't a, it wasn't a, a downbeat coach in any way, despite losing by four goals to nil. We'd all seen the game. We were all proud of Brentford. I think everybody, when they got off the coach back at Brentford, was not, I think everybody expected to, to not go there and, and get any sort of result. But we were just proud that the way Brentford had played on the day and proud to say that we'd been there to, to see the Bees in a, in a historic game. It was great to see the, the, the teams come out um, and we were playing in like the light blue and dark blue, which is like a real contrast to the all red of uh, Liverpool. And Liverpool had a, a great team out that day. And we were 1-0 uh, down uh, up until about 65 minutes and we, we, we was in it. And Cadet, you know, he, he had a good chance. It just sort of went past, past the post. If that had gone in, maybe, maybe we could have got something. We was always going to be hoping. But then, you know, Barn, John Barnes uh, then got a second goal. And late on, Beardsley got two goals in, like, was it last 10 minutes? So, 4-0. It looked it looked a heavy defeat, but you know Brentford done themselves proud and, and put up a really good show, really good show. And at the end, you know Brentford fans were in good voice throughout and kept and kept going and kept cheering the team, kept cheering everything. And at, the Liverpool fans were great at the end and they they clapped Brentford off. Brentford held them done done themselves proud that day. And you got to Anfield, and of course, absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Dream ground, everyone wants to go to Liverpool and that. Obviously a little bit drunk, can't remember all the game, except the miss. The miss by Richard Cadet. And I, I say to this day, if that had gone in, I do think the score would have been different. Because it was really only the last half hour of that game that they annihilated us. And then at the end of the game, just getting the massive ovation from like the cop end and that. But the one memory that will always stick in my mind is the noise. It was just terrific. It was amazing in there. Never since, even Wembley, have I heard anything like it. And after we left the, the ground and we got on the coach and some love, well, we're not sure who done it, but the journey home wasn't so good because the window at the front had smashed. I can just remember and the one good thing, Mandy and I said this this morning when I rung her, because we always used to aim for the back of the bus anyway, didn't we? And the one good thing was we were sitting at the back of the bus. Mandy and I were saying, we can just remember getting in the pub and being warm. And we, we said, should we stay here the night and just make our own way home in the morning? Because it was so cold on that bloody bus. But as we left Liverpool and you looked behind and you saw the line of the Brentford coaches, because most fans obviously went up on the coach, it was just, it was amazing. There was like a whole line of about 40 coaches and it just looked really, really good. Unreal, as I'd say. So there again, there, Anfield for the first time, you know, they scored early, which was always a bummer. Um, 
and then it was what was his name Andy Sinton Andy Sinton he just bossed the game for about the next 60-70 minutes and it was like we can win this man we had a massive chance to I think we may, I think we had a massive chance to score first but anyway um, and then John Barnes I think it was scored the second but they scored you know they scored, it was 4-0 it was never a 4-0 game it was probably a 2-1 win to Liverpool and that was the furthest we've got in the FA Cup for me at that time I'm 58 uh, and it's the furthest we've ever been since. And I've seen teams like Millwall, Watford, Wimbledon all go to the final from my own city, you know. And it's just, it'd just be nice if I could tell you a story about when we got to the FA Cup final. That would be the greatest possible thing. Uh, from that point, it went a bit downhill. You know, we got a bus to the station to get a train back to Manchester. We got set on by some scouters. Uh, not too bad, spat out and all that stuff. Didn't, you know, didn't even say anything. Uh, and then we went out, I think, we went out to the uh, Hacienda Saturday night in Manchester, which was which was great, a, a different type of celebration. As for the rest of the day, great to see 6,000 fans travelling. You've got to remember, you know, our crowds are only that. That must be every person sent for a turnstile of country was there that day. And, um, you know, I can remember other little things, bits and pieces of it, you know. Um, you know, a silly. one thing was, um, that always sticks out of my mind. I don't know why it's nothing to do with the football. But um, it was it was um, about halfway through the first half, and um, where they used to the gate people used to come past with their tapings with a couple of uh, security um, people with them, like stewards or whatever, with the tapings as they go. And this woman, she had ginger hair, and it was like, and it was cut just like silver black. And I can just remember all of us shouting out, "Silver, silver!" Yeah, obviously the result didn't go our way, so just back across the park, nothing really. To tell you about that, besides the nice um, reception we got off all the Liverpool fans at the end, obviously brings a lumpy phone to the TPI, um, which is special, and clapping the players. That was the FA Cup run over, wasn't it? You know, so it's back to the coach, crack open the can and um, bring on promotion two or three years later with basically a lot of the same players. I recall we, we held our own and should have tucked away a pretty good chance early on to take the lead. But uh, we were still like a bit rabbits in headlights at that stage. And then when I believe McMahon eventually scored for them just before half time, it was almost a relief. <laughs> it was, you know, the tension has slightly subsided at that point. And, uh, and we all just settled down to enjoy it. Of course, you know, they, they ran away with it and, uh, and the rest is history. But yeah, great, great day. What an amazing experience to see Richard Cadet at the cop end, two minutes in, turning on sixpence. And I remember him smacking his shot on another day, could have gone in. And we all thought it scored. Um, we couldn't believe it. And then I think Ray Houghton broke down the right-hand side and he crossed over where McMahon um, at the far post, headed in to make it 1-0 in front of our end, which was massive, 7,000 of our lot there. Um, so to go in 1-0 down, to the previous season's uh, champions uh, was just amazing to think we had a chance second half. But then Barnsley and uh, Beardsley turned it on. I remember Barnes scoring the second or the third goal, which was just amazing. One of the best goals I think I've ever seen. Picked it up on the halfway line, went round one, went round two, put Millen on his backside and scored at the, um, at the cop end to make it... Um, 2-0, then I think Beardsley got a couple and wrapped the game up 4-0. But then at the end, I never forget how proud I was to be a Brentford fan when the game had finished and the cop end stayed to clap the Brentford players off the pitch, having obviously celebrated with their own art, you know, all of us, with all our inflatable bees and 
Um, everybody was singing and shouting. Everybody was happy to be Brentford that day. And I remember everybody coming out and all the Liverpudlians wanted to say thank you for having a great game. And on another day, it could have been different. Um, and they obviously went on to, to win the cup that year, but we, we the events that surrounded the game after. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, the game didn't go as a, but uh, we started off pretty well for Richard Cadet, bless his heart. He had a good go, nearly scored. And I think we'd done well for most of the game, for at least 60 minutes or so, 70 minutes. We seemed to do quite well. They got a goal. Then after that, I think a two or three minute period, they, they got a couple of quick goals towards the end of the game. It just uh, fizzled out. But we gave a good account ourselves on the day and the whole experience of being up in Liverpool and walking around before the game and after amount of people and the reception. I seem to remember the reception at the end of the game for the cop of giving the team a good clap and send-off. And after, I, don't, I also have to say when I, got, when I got there, I mean, I've been at Man United a lot. I've never been to see, I've never been to Anfield. And I was overwhelmed. I thought the atmosphere and the, just the, the size of the occasion. You know, I, thought, I really did think this was, uh, it was, it was something. I was, uh, so apart from Old Trafford, I've never experienced anything like it at a football ground just from the sort of sheer atmosphere. And as, I say, we, as you say, we had that chance in about, I don't know, under 10 minutes. But then once they all took over, they were awesome. Every time they got a play, I thought, oh, not him. And it would be Bonds, and it would be McMahon, and it would be someone else. And every single pass they play it, so it would be like a sort of a world superstar. It was just, uh, we were well beaten. We wasn't too bad in the first half. We had a chance of Richard Cadet had that chance, glittering chance. And he, he was on his own against Grobler and he's, he put it wide. And I think we could have gone one up if he did put that ball in the back of the net. But it didn't happen. And we got funked 4-0. But it was a great day. That's all we remember. That's all we loved. It was a, a day that we'll never forget that we had that Anfield. But on the way back after the final whistle, we all boarded on the bus again. I think Bill had this pub in the remote and far out place. We had a, a buffet that was arranged there. It was lovely. It was great, great atmosphere, great times there. And um, after that, we brought it back and we head back to London. We didn't expect to poop, in all honesty. With the Liverpool, they had Beardsley, Barnes, Aldridge, Whelan, Brucey Grobler in goal. It would have been, it would have taken something special if Brentford had done it on the day. We battled bravely, I remember. I know McMahon put them in the lead, but then we, for about 60 minutes, we hung on in. And in every cup tie, you think with, you know, if we got, if we stay in the tie at one, there was something could happen. But we knew that the cadet chance was the big one. Um, it didn't happen. They got their second goal. Our heads dropped. Our legs went. Cherry Evans had nothing left in his legs. He played his heart out. He was he was absolutely superb. Liverpool ran out four nil winners, but I do remember we were applauded off the pitch by the Liverpool fans because we'd given it a good old go. It was it wasn't a disgraceful four nil defeat. So after the cup run, uh, the club uh, sort of celebrated it really by producing um, a T-shirt from the club shop for the fans to buy, and it had on it "Magic Cup Run" with like the the Castle Brentford badge on the front uh, underneath the the Brentford badge it just said see back and on the back was like all the fixtures from the cut one it wasn't the greatest design but you know a few people that bought them but the whole sea everyone me and my mates would just mocked it all the time just calling it the see back t-shirt so 
getting up to Anfield, again, I went by official club transport and um, there was uh, a lot of uh, leaflets handed out. There was obviously, again, no mobile phones, no social media, no internet. So everything was handed out on a kind of uh, facsimile or a photocopied sheet. And I remember meeting, it was an absolute, like, 40, 50, 60 coaches that left from Leighton, Leighton Road, Leighton Road Car Park, which is by by the little bridge that goes over the railway at, um, at by the new inn. Just as you get to the other side, towards the Great West Road, there's that big car park on the left-hand side. And all the coaches were packed in there. And I, I remember getting there really early again. And like all official coaches, you leave uh, the crack of dawn and you get to the game like with seconds to spare. And uh, we went up. It was it was raining. Um, we were up on the M M. I'm not the is the M40. Was that a thing then? I'm not sure it was. So it would have been M probably M1 M6 all the way round through Birmingham. And as we got to Birmingham there was absolute gridlock and I, I, I vividly remember looking out where Walsall's ground is now um, there we were we were stuck and we were just like inching our way through um, that part of uh, the Birmingham black country part of the motorway and nowadays we would have all been all over social it would have been like talking about pushing the kickoff back, having having thousands of Brentford fans, a convoy of coaches, like literally nose to tail all the way through that part of uh, Birmingham. So we got to, the coaches dropped us off, if I remember, like quite near Stanley Park, and we just legged it. You know, we, we it, this was, it, this was like not, yeah, minutes to kickoff probably. This is probably 10 to 3. Um, the game wouldn't have been at three o'clock kickoff these days. It would have been it would have been televised. It would have been on a Friday night. It would have been on a Saturday evening, Sunday morning. It, it would not have been three o'clock on a Saturday, but it was. And uh, we just about made it to kickoff, and it just takes all the fun out of it, doesn't it? You know, it's the biggest game probably. Well. I, at that stage, the biggest game of my Brentford support in life, and all the fun's been sucked out of it because you're just you're you're nervous. You're like, how are we going to make kickoff? Um, you know, you can't get in there, you can't plot up, you can't have a beer, you can't do anything that adds to the day. It's literally biting your nails. Are we going to make kickoff? So, um, yeah, getting to Anfield was was a bit of a, a bit of an ordeal, if I'm honest with you. Um, and then as soon as we're in there, we're kind of relaxed and then you've got to get into game mode. Um, and we were just obviously delighted that we, we, we didn't go behind early and we got all the way through that first half towards the end of that first half and we're, we're nil-nil. So um, as Al said, we, we go in one-nil down at half time, but then the, the, the dream's still alive, isn't it? You know, there's always a chance of a comeback. You know, we've been under pressure. We've had chances. We, we, we know that we can hurt them. Um, so yeah, we're we're hoping that the second half we're going to turn this one round. Yeah, and for me, I mean, like I said, the madness. Like I said the official unofficial coach that I did. It was absolute mayhem. Seventy-two people, properly on party mode. 
to be fair, we were lucky because we were the same. We left really early, like seven o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous from Ealing Common Station. We thought we'd be there in plenty of time. I did my usual good pub guide um, research and found a pub literally in the middle of nowhere, somewhere, not Warrington, but it's somewhere, literally, it wasn't the middle of town, it was the middle of nowhere. Rang them up. I booked out the pub for 75 people. They put on a massive buffet for us and everything like that. We were on our way up. We hit the same traffic jam that you did in Birmingham. But we kind of didn't notice it because the party was so strong. We had the music going. We had the booze going. We had party and people are dancing on the top deck, dancing on the bottom deck. It was a haze. It is, honestly, it was absolute mayhem on this on this coach. It really was. <laughs> I wish I was. I wish I was when you were coach, Bill. <laughs> well, mates, you know, mums. We were, we, honestly, we were playing like bingo on ours. Like mums, you know, daughters, sisters. I mean, I had sort of girlfriend and ex-girlfriend ex-girlfriend's mate another girlfriend honestly it was like it's just like a coming together of characters on this bus it was really really how many how many how many girlfriends did you have the coach? there was there's quite a few let's just <laughs> it was kind of sort of like you know sort of kind of stepping on hot coals type time as well you know <laughs> activity but you listen you know we got through that mates you know keep your mates who decided to come on the trip liverpool mates to come on honestly it was really, really good. The music, we had the you know the ghetto blaster sound system, which was playing all sorts of sounds from the beginning to the end. You know, I obviously had my playlist at the time of music because I was massively into music then. So that was on there as well. And like I said to you, and the funny thing, like I said to you, Tony Parks, his mum was dad were on there, and I was a little bit worried because it had got a little bit mad. And their, their faces was kind of like like the rabbit in the headlights sort of thing, like, going, oh, my God, what's going on here? And, and they sort of kind of, you know, kept going up and going, hey, all right, you all right? Yeah, we're, we're fine, Bill. We're fine. I was thinking they might have been better off going on the sort of kind of slightly boring, you know, wags coach, the families, <laughs> and having a nice meal beforehand. Yeah, so that's it. So that was really, that was a quite a mad thing. Obviously, they talked about the stone smashing the window, and it was absolutely freezing cold. But we not, no one seemed to bother about that. Then we came to Stanley Park, like you did. We must have parked pretty much near to where the, the official coaches parked. And we got off the bus and we legged it across the park to try and get in. And again, you know, it was annoying because you couldn't walk around Anfield. You couldn't see what's going on there. And we walked in and I remember we were in the front row seats and we just about got there as Richard Gadette just missed that goal. So it must have been sort of kind of sort of eight or nine minutes into the game, we actually got into our seats and that was it. I remember the noise, I remember the sound. I remember somebody racially abusing uh, Seeley on the right-hand side of us as well in, a, in a, a light blue shell suit. I remember it very clearly as well. Uh, I think Seeley was walking up. So that happened as well. Like I said, I remember these things. I remember sort of uh, uh, Joe... Um, Joe, Joe, Joe and Anne Helwig as well, who is the original um, Black Brentford fan who used to protect me as well. Her, she, her and her very hard brother, um, you know, who was great when I was young and I needed a bit of protection down at Brentford. She was properly tough and she used to protect me. And I remember her waving over in the corner with Joe and Mandy as well. Just these little memories that I remember. My brother came up there with his inflatables and everything. It was a fantastic day out. And yes, we lost 4-0, but listen, you know, the journey had to come to an end at some stage. So just, just quickly, guys, on that. from So you're hearing about my micro sort of memories and that. What was it like for you guys, you know, when you first, you know, as I said, as Laney described it really well, you know, you when you're in a rush to get somewhere, it's like getting ready to go out and you miss the cab or whatever. You know, you have your little moat, you know, I want to get to the ground, I want to experience all that. I want to, you know, have a couple of beers, get something to eat. But from a fan's perspective, um, what was that like for you guys when you walked in to to Anfield? 
and and you've seen your team there. Tell me, like micro micro detail it for me a little bit. I, I thought it was it was a lot to take in. You know, you've you've gone you've gone into this kind of like you've got this stressed environment where you know, as, as I said before, you're kind of like just very very aware that you you just don't want to you don't want to miss the kickoff. You don't want to miss a, you don't want to miss a second of it really, and then you feel a little bit kind of short change that you've got you walk in and there's seven thousand people already in there so you they, they got there before you and they've been lucky enough to kind of like to drink it in a little bit more than you have but then all of a sudden the, the whistle's gone and, and it's game on and everyone's equal then you know it doesn't matter if you were there for two hours three hours ten seconds before a kickoff everyone's watching the game and everyone's kind of sharing that same vibe where you're, you want the best for your team and you don't want the worst for your team. So you don't want us to concede. You just want to be able to grow into the game. And I think we did that. And I think, you know, the, as soon as the first song started and I, and I, and I, I, like, I, I realised that it was a decent atmosphere. So, so often you go to, uh, you know, cup games or bit, what is, what's classed as a big game and the atmosphere lets it down. We've had games against Chelsea in recent years where, you know, it's been a lot of Brentford fans there, but because it's on two tiers and you've got, you know, an Arsenal last season where you, you know, you, you're kind of like fragmented in, in a big space and it doesn't, the, the, the acoustics don't work. That day it did work. You know, you're, it's a big end and we had, we had like the whole away end and a bit of the corner as well. And as I said, it was it was Anfield's or Liverpool's biggest gate of that season because it was no segregation. We had the whole of the away end and a bit more of the corner, so you could cr they crammed more into that stadium than they were allowed at any other stage. I'm not saying that they're not saying Brent, the Brentford Liverpool game was the biggest game of their season. It wasn't, but because of the the the, the segregation rules, they were allowed more fans in there. So it was it was just incredible and. I, I, yeah, I, I, it was like hairs on arms standing up good for quite quite a way through that first half. And, you know, you, obviously you, you're relieved that you don't concede and we were under pressure and you kind of like breathe a sigh of relief. And it's only been, I think as a Brentford fan, it's only been really in the last three, four, five years since we've established ourselves at this level where I'm happy to go to any stadium in the country and i don't feel intimidated we've won a lot of big stadiums now and we are confident in the fact that we play some of the best football there is in this country but at the time it, it was very different we we weren't you know we weren't um uh, an established second tier team we were a, a plucky um very good third tier team um, and we had some great individual players and, you know, we just didn't want to be overwhelmed. And it was just a relief that we oh, weren't. Great. It's great to hear. It was very surreal for me just walking out there, seeing your team playing in front of 40,000 people in a, in a stage that, to be honest with you, and this is no disrespect to the team, that they shouldn't be there. But you've always wanted to be there and playing alongside players like John Barnes, you know, who was a hero of mine at the time. You know, but all of a sudden it's like I wanted John Barnes to do badly, whereas any other game I actually wanted John Barnes to do well because he was a black footballer who was basically representing. And and for me, you know, he was representing me and, and my race, and my, you know, and and I wanted him to do well because if he did well, 
then it was better for the whole of the black community in the UK. So all of a sudden it's like, I'm like, I don't want you to do well, John Barnes today, man. I want you to have a real stinker. And unfortunately it didn't quite happen. So for me, going to Liverpool was great. And also the other thing is that you always dream when it comes to the FA Cup. Normally in the third round of the FA Cup, you get a decent draw. And we've always, always, every time, we talk about this all the time, we, we wait till we get to the third round and then we pray that we normally get one of the biggest teams out there. That's what you want. You want a big team away and probably go out of the cup and have a really good day out. That was always our view of how we wanted to get the FA Cup. And it never, 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 ever worked for us. And eventually, you know, like I said to you, we, we, we played Manchester City, you know, um, even though they weren't top tier at the time. But Liverpool and Man United are the two teams that we're still waiting to play. And to have played Liverpool, it's fantastic. Man United still one team that we're still waiting to come out of the hat at one stage because I think that every Brentford fan would love to go to Old Trafford and, and grace the turf at Old Trafford. And personally, I'd prefer to do it before we got to the top tier. I'd love to have done it in the third tier and go there and, uh, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and cause them a few problems. But to have walked out at Liverpool, that is, as they say, a dream come true. A dream come true. And I, and I, have, to, I have to say this, and I, I know Alan's with us now, and, I, and I've got to say that no one can ever take that away from your you and that that team what you achieved it was just incredible and i am so grateful for what you did for us and i will always remember and i will never forget and brentford fans should never forget what you achieved for our club during that cup run and i have to say thank you very much Thanks, guys. That, that's amazing. Can I just throw in a couple of things of the legacy of that game? Uh, all respect to Liverpool. They kitted out our uh, coach with loads of beers and food. Um, so it was a proper jolly, jolly boys outing on the way home, number one. And let me tell you, legacy continues. I was lucky enough to, what should we say, Del Boy, a signed football by Brentford and Liverpool players. So I, I had the actual tango ball signed by um the Liverpool players and obviously our, our squad and stuff and uh, uh two or three years ago it cropped up that a, a young Brentford supporter needed needed cancer treatment and I um I went to the bees in the old bees in and we auctioned it off and we got I think between two and three two and three grand for it um so the legacy of that okay it was my ball which was a dream but I think for my for me personally the connection with the Brentford supporters was more important to make that kid um try and get treatment and and nick bruise on bought it did he really how oh, brilliant nick bruise on bought it so fair play to him he's a good lad nick. he's a good lad and, and and my point being that legacy is all them years later so you're talking what 20 26 27 years later that legacy of just that liverpool game has still benefited someone at that stage who, was, who wasn't born at the time by the way so that's an amazing thing so that was it liverpool beaten us. They were through to the semi-finals of the Cup. Brentford had a lot of good memories. At the end of the day, okay, yes, we lost the game, but it wasn't a bad thing, was it, Alan? No. Um, the greatest, some of the greatest times as a footballer on your emotions and certainly now, like guys, that we're doing this podcast and all the supporters that still talk to me and things like that. You know, like life, when you're lying on that big slab with your last breath, life's about uh really important memories where it be family friends and times in your life and i i honestly believe for me 
it evokes some of the best memories of my time, not just for the the FA Cup run, which is obviously everyone, every footballer's dream, but also the support at the time that I think was probably the biggest connection that the that the supporters and players had at the time, bearing in mind that they don't have that you know, that connection now because of social media and fear of the camera phone and stuff like that. So that's what I take. I take it was kind of the end of that type of time. I'm, I'm so happy that we was, uh, uh, you know, we could provide that for everybody. And I'm very proud of that. And that will always kind of be one of my biggest achievements in the game, shall, shall we say. And the fact, the fact that we're talking about it 30 years later, I think, is, uh, is kind of like underlines how, how special it was. 100%. And also, what you've got to remember, guys, we've done a lap of honour. I don't know if you were still in the ground or you were still there, but we got a standing, standing ovation from the cop end. Um, and there's an actually a, an amazing picture of me waving to, to the crowd, like a close-up with the crowd in the background and stuff, which is, I think, their appreciation. Because let's be honest... The Scousers do appreciate their football. They're quite knowledgeable. And I think they appreciate the fact that we were the mighty underdogs and had gone through, Christ, how many games, guys, just to get to the, you know, get to the, the golden fleece, shall we say. You know, we deserve that. Um, and you guys deserve that. And that, that sticks in my mind was like, who, who really gets a standing ovation from the cop? as well as their own supporters. And it, it, it was just an incredible season as well. You know, obviously we had, we had the, you know, the, the Leyland Daff run as well. And then we were pushing for promotion and we fell just short. And the whole season started with a tour to Portugal, you know. Um, you know, it had been a, been a long old journey for you. Were, were, you, were, you, were you kind of like knackered as a team by that stage? Yeah, if you, if you look at the... I mean, everyone talks about now, Laney, don't they? About oh, you've played X amount of games in a in a week or in a season and stuff like that. Or, on, let's be honest, Q Garden type type pitches, and we're going up and down the land playing on on shit eats. Um, and also, what you've got to remember, I'd like to say this as well that the what what supporters might not understand is the is the physical pain and the operations that the old players have gone through now. Um, I'd, I'd just like to say that because you don't realise until you get older what, physica- what, what physical pain you've gone in. I mean, I've had, I've had many, I've had two hip operations, knee operations, all, all as a result of playing and twisting and turning. And you've got to remember that football is a, it's not a normal sport to play. It's not a straight line sport. You're always twisting and turning. And in the mud, and the sand and the rain and stuff like that. I wouldn't swap it for the for the world, but there's a lot of ex pros up there um, that have played on really bad pitches that are suffering because of that. Um, and and I know they wouldn't swap it, but I just want to put that out there about the conditions that we all played in at the time that people probably don't recognise today. So we're just going to wrap it up now. We're going to have a little break, then we're going to come back and we're going to see the positive this cup run has had. If we were to just rate, I think we were to raise our glasses to the cup run. And we're going to look forward to maybe Brentford. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, um, it, was, it was the start of building that team that, that took us up to the, the, the championship two or three years later. Um, you know, Andy Feely, you know, I remember Keith Jones, um, Will Smiley. You know, <laughs> what a name, Neil Smiley. I'm telling you, I'm speaking to you now with a smile on my face. Gary Griffith, Terry Evans, you know, 
and then the, and obviously the, the lady's favourite got them, you know, with his um, hair down his back, you know, I mean, um, that was the base because, um, you know, then we got a couple of years ago, Dean Oldsworth followed the, the strength in that side up and, uh, you know, we went on from there, really. So, like in, you know, many other football clubs, you know, a good cut run is always a, um, a good solid base to um, for the next couple of seasons and um, obviously you've got a decent enough side there. Parts was in goal money, I think, and um, Stanislaus, <laughs> you know, with Andy Keeley and um, Sinton there, obviously good midfielders. You know, you know, any better than Terry Evans and um, that's why he's a club legend. Keith Jones was here forward, but, you know, he scored goals. Well, we do have Godfrey as well, Kevin Godfrey, another great player who could score goals from the, from the wing. That's what I remember of that and I remember Steve Perriman as the manager. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a good few years. We, we proved in that cup run that we could obviously, we beat Man City, we beat Blackburn, two big, two big sides, and uh, didn't disgrace ourselves at Liverpool. So I thought oh, this, is, this is the start of something, uh, of something bigger. So that was, you know, that was always, that was a good, uh, good omen, I think, going forwards. I think that, that cup run did, did just sort of galvanise everyone as a Brentford supporter. I think after that, the... Uh, the, the the fan togetherness was a lot more. We we took that momentum into into the following season, I believe, and over the next few years. I think before before that cup run, we were hovering just under five thousand per game or something like that. It was uh, it was kind of pretty rubbishy at times, but um, you know we didn't care. But uh, I think with the with the cup run, it just sort of pulled everyone together and uh, and it rubbed off on everyone. It was. I'd say that was, that was the catalyst for like, yeah, for where we are now almost. So I think that was one of the, the first steps on the, uh, the, the upsurgence of the bees. Yes, we might have gone out of the cup, but there are some big positives out of it. And the fact is, as the fans have said there, you know, that was the basis of the side that got promotion a couple of years ago. And you could see that quality coming through, couldn't you? It was stabilising what we had. And also, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, a bit more of, a vi- of an introduction uh, for the younger lads that I felt could have come earlier. But, um, yeah, the, all that experience, you cannot think about that. Think about Brentford youth, Buckle, Gale. Cousins, Peters, all coming up to Anfield, all being involved in the cup run, being there. What people don't tend to realise as a young person, just being involved, whether you're playing or not, is irrelevant. Just being involved in that atmosphere and that um, and that camaraderie is is an education within itself. So definitely good for the future of Brentford and Kelly Hague. Not, not a lot of people mention Kelly Hague. Kelly Hague could have been a top player. If you were going to change. One thing about that period, what would you change? I'd have kept Steve in charge. And why is that then? I think Steve, he'd done, I think it was two or three seasons and he was building something. Um, and who knows, you know, none of us know about, you know, behind closed doors and stuff. Maybe the whole Watford scenario was many, many things brought up. But I think when Phil, for me personally now, just a personal thing, nothing on the club. I think when Phil took over, we, we, we took a different direction. Um, yeah, we got promoted. Um, we got relegated straight after that. I mean, I wasn't involved in that. I, could, I, I personally couldn't stay at the club. Um, so I think if Steve would, I think if Steve would have stayed in and we'd have got promoted, we would have been playing a different style of football to stay in the top tier. You can't play, what should we say, continuous 
pressing whack it football without any without any culture within within the team. You need to have a fallback of quality players within the side. So what's really disappointing from an outsider is to see us go up and which was a great thing for the club, but also to come straight back down again. So yeah, for, I mean, personally speaking, for me, to, for, <laughs> for Steve to stay at the club was better for me because Phil and I were like uh, uh, Tyson and Hollyfield. This is the decided Pride of West London Reloaded 1988-89 podcast. So tell us, how can we get hold of you, Alan, and check out what you've been up to? Well, it's at Alan Cochran on Twitter. Um, oh, the other thing I'd like to say was um, I've done about eight or nine now of my podcast, which is in, you can find it easy. It's on Spotify. It's on, it's on uh, YouTube as well. Um, it's called The Birth of a Complicated Man. And all what we've spoken, in fact, it's coincided amazingly well because um, I've just left Tottenham or my next one is just le about leaving Tottenham um, and going to Brentford. So there's going to be amazing stories, even even stuff that we haven't spoke about here because this is just about the cut run. So it'd be great for Brentford supporters. And also, I didn't really want to be a run-of-the-mill kind of podcaster. I've, I've tried to really evoke emotion in my this is what i talk about all the time micro emotion is like really trying to explain what it was like to, to wear six inch studs shall we say for example or what it was like to go through the the wrought iron gates at, at, at anfield to you you'll never walk alone what it was like to see the brentford supporters banging on the coach and really try and micro it and hopefully people have enjoyed it i've had some some amazing people and a lot of brentford supporters have been fantastic about that um, and finally, just thank you uh, to you guys um, for letting me relive um, childhood dreams um, and also just also bringing in a, a realisation of how fantastic that Brentford supporters are. And, and, and really, it's about you guys. It's not about the players. I want to say that. It ain't about the players. You come and go. And the, and the thing that Brentford is, is always about the supporters and the greatest thing is when it marinates and when i spoke about that the game at, at man city and there's been many other times is when you all marinate at once and then you dissipate and all the players dissipate guys but you're always there week in and week out and I, and i i doff my cap to you so thank you for that thank you alan it's been absolutely riveting it's been brilliant it's been great having you a guest on the podcast we need to get you back on one of our socials after well, when the time is right, we really look forward to having you, mate. And tell you something, um, just keep on doing what you're doing because you're doing some really, really good stuff at the moment. My name's Billy Grant. Thanks to Alan Cochran. Thanks to David Lane. Thanks to all you lot for listening. Don't forget to check us out and put the like us and subscribe to us on all your favourite podcast channels, your Spotify's, your iTunes, your, your CastBoxes, whatever it may be. We will see you soon at the next Besotted Reloaded. That was Besotted Reloaded, the story of Brentford's amazing 1988-89 FA Cup run featuring ex-Brentford midfielder Alan Cockrum. I'm Billy Grant and I was joined by Dave Lane from Besotted to relive these wonderful memories. We'd also like to have a big, big thank you to the fans that contributed to this feature. Gary Smith, Steve the Bordeaux B, Greville Waterman, Blondie, Clarkie, Joe Whelan, Gary Scammell, Monty, Paul Jameson, Colin the South Coast B, Steve Horowitz, Kenny Raymond. You can catch part one and part two on Pride of West London and you can also catch up with all the besotted activity on besotted.com.
Please subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast provider. And thank you very much for listening. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.